0: Morning, Living Hope. All right, that was awesome. So, that worship was amazing. So so good. Um, thank you guys so much this last week for all your comments and encouragement regarding my my health and my grandmother's health and and everything else that's going on in my life and and uh, just to really appreciate it. you guys are stepped up and loved on me well this week and so I really appreciate that. Um, by the way. <laughs> I don't know. Last week I preached about pizza. And uh, <laughs> evidently that's all anybody remembers. <laughs> and so, so um, anyway, I don't know that I've ever preached a message where more people have immediately put those words into action. And, like, I just was getting this flood of photos from Zachary's. Like, oh, we're here. We're eating it. And, you know, it's just so great. Just so excited. Like, all week long, all you guys were at Zachary's. And it's uh, just, just so funny. Like, I I I got I guess, like, that's the key to your, your guys' hearts and minds. And so, like, I wish I could get you to move that fast, that quickly, that intently when it comes to, like, serving the poor and the orphan and the widow. <laughs> and So, it's, so I'm going to have to switch up my, my, uh, my, uh pitch to you. I'm just, they're they're great, the poor people. You know, they're covered in cheese. It's like this thick. <laughs> that's horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, anyway, no, that's good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. Um <laughs> So, um, hey, in, a, in about a week or so, uh, we've got another mailer that's going to be dropping, and every household in Dixon, it looks like this. There's a big stack of them on the back table, uh, and you're welcome to take one or a few. And if you know people that, uh, maybe outside of our community or at work or school or whatever that may not um, be getting the mailer in the mail because uh, it'll just be kind of city limits type stuff, uh, you're welcome to take a few of those and hand those out. but. Uh, and, and as you do that, would you just pray uh, that these would reach the right eyes, the right hands, and uh, and that um, it would just be a, an effective form of us uh, telling people about our church. So we're going to jump in. <coughs> Pardon me. We're going to jump into uh, the, our last uh, session of uh, this study that we've been doing in Nehemiah. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been, it's been uh, a lot of fun for me. I really love this book, Nehemiah, and just what it teaches. And uh, and so if you're if this is your first Sunday or or maybe you've missed a lot of the series the the, the sermons are online you can catch up that way but uh, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 13 last chapter of Nehemiah today and it is um, the the story of Nehemiah is one about God giving his people dreams to fulfill and his people responding positively and say yeah I'll do that and and then how God provide when God gives us a dream that's his dream <clears throat> how he uh, responds. And he's with us every step of the way, and he makes it all happen. You know, he's not going to call us someplace where he's not also going to provide for us and equip equip us and that sort of thing. And so Nehemiah, the dream that God had given him was to go. He, the nation of Israel was in captivity in Babylon, and, Nehemiah, and God asked Nehemiah, basically, I need you to go to uh, back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around the city. There, The the city there is a shame and, and uh, uh, vulnerable and everything else. And so Nehemiah followed God's leading. And actually... There was no, we, there's no record of this kind of conversation between God and Nehemiah. All we know is that Nehemiah's heard the news that the wall was down around Jerusalem. His heart broke. He prayed about it and then he stepped forward and, and started making it happen. And last week we talked about how the, the work was completed. They actually were able to get the wall back up around Jerusalem in 52 days. And, uh, and then the process of kind of celebrating that victory and, 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 uh, all of that. I wanted before we dive into chapter thirteen. I I was kind of looking back over my notes of the last several weeks of this series, and I I realized that there's a a really critical step in the fulfilling of of uh, the dreams that God has given you that I didn't mention, and it's, it's probably actually the most critical step of any of them. And it's this: it's just simple, simply one word. Start. Start. At some point, you have to actually start. At some point, you have to take that first step of faith. And say, "Yes, I'm going to do this and, and, and make a phone call, have a conversation, develop a plan, you know whatever, but at some point you have to actually start until you actually start. It never gets out of dream phase, it never will make its way into reality. And, uh, and so that's where our you know that's where our uh, end of the deal comes in, you know where we step out and say, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, I'm going to make this phone call. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going to, you know, start working something together, but I'm going to start on this. And starting is really critical. And I just want to encourage you all this morning. If there's something in your life that, you know, God has been laying on your heart to do start, just, just simply start, you know, you uh, chances are prayer is not the issue. You've probably prayed about it long enough by now. And, uh, and so, um, uh, you know, at some point you just have to start you know, making things happen. And, and then, and then, f- and then you play catch up with God, because if it's God's dream, he's just going to drag you along the whole way. And you're like, wait, hold up, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and so it, it'll, it'll be a good thing, but eventually you have to start. So before we dive in, I want to uh, just make a quick reminder of a point we made a few weeks ago too. And the point was this, it's on the screen that your dream is not about you. <clears throat> your dream is not about you. It's always about God. When God gives you a dream, that dream is not about you. It's not about your sense of accomplishment. It's not about your happiness. It's always about God and his glory. Your dream is not about you. And when we begin to make the dreams that God gives us, you know, for whatever they might be, when, when we begin to make the dr- dreams that God gives us about ourselves and ins- instead of about being about him, then things go off kilter. Things go wrong, oftentimes very quickly. Now, we're going we're to kind of preach through uh, Nehemiah chapter 13, and this is going to be an odd sermon because uh, I'm, I'm going to step out on a limb here and say that there's a pretty good chance for a lot of you in this room, you've never heard Nehemiah 13 ever preached because it's not a happy ending to the story. And we love happy endings. Right. Don't we? We love, love happy endings. And so, um, so it's, it's, a, it's a weird, it's it's the same, it's the same reason you've never heard the end of Jonah preached because it ends horribly, right? It just doesn't end well. Uh, And so, so, which is, we do that. We have this tendency of kind of doctoring up the Bible stories and, you know, we put, you know, cute little animals and boats on our kids' walls for Noah's Ark. And we forget that the water was covered in floating dead bodies, Right. And so we doctor that up, and, and, and we make it all nice and sweet and palatable. And, and so Nehemiah 13, they have, they've built the wall. They've celebrated the fact that they've built the wall. Um, and all, all things are good. And then we fast forward about 10 years, 10 or 12 years, and everything has gone wrong. And it was because the people there in Israel be, began to make the dream about themselves. Instead of, instead of about the glory of God, so they had accomplished this great thing. They were now becoming a strong people again, a, a, a people that you know they felt like God had shown them some favor and was uh, you know kind of in the ship that had gone wrong and everything else. And they began to make this dream about themselves and took their eyes and their focus off of God. And, and in, the, in a short time of just about ten years. Everything went wrong. The people began to wander away last week. I think it was last week when we talked about uh, how they heard the word of God read, heard the word of God read, and it convicted their hearts and they became sorrowful because they realized how far from God they had been living and that God didn't want them to stay in that place of sorrow. He still wanted them to celebrate because God was in control and he was, he's a good and loving God. That's the way he works. But but th- they heard the word, they were convicted, they repented, they wanted to do right. And in just a matter of a few years, everything was going off, off kilter. So I'm, I'm not going to read this entire chapter, chapter 13. I'm going to kind of summarize it. I'm going to encourage you to, to read it on your own. Um, I'll, I'll read a little bit at the end of the chapter. But let me kind of summarize what happened. So in the first few verses, <clears throat> this is what happens. <clears throat> um, in only one decade, Israel... The first thing that happened in verses 1 through 9 is that they allowed an enemy to misuse the temple. So you guys may remember that there was a couple of enemies that kept coming up against Nehemiah uh, and uh, trying to you know, keep him from finishing his dream and rebuilding the wall. And so Nehemiah, after the completion of the project, he went back to Babylon to finish out his service to the king. He worked for the king in Babylon. So he goes off. And, and and does his thing. And then he begins to hear what's happening. So one of their enemies that kept rising up against Nehemiah, the guy named Tobiah, uh, for some odd reason, he was allowed to kind of come into the temple and take one of the primary rooms that were in the temple uh, that had a purpose, a function for worship. And he just kind of Made that his personal office. And he kind of moved out all of God's stuff out of this room of the temple, and he just began. He just kind of set up shop there in the temple for himself. For nothing had nothing to do with God. Had nothing to do with worship. It was all about him. It was just like I need an office. How about that one in the temple? I'll take that one. And and he took a place of worship and made it all about him. So they allowed their enemy to come in and misuse the temple. Now. We don't have temples in our day. That's not what we do. This building is not a temple. There's nothing temple about it, right? It's just a room. It's just a room. And we are in what we call the New Testament age. Uh, and uh, in the New Testament age, we are the temple. Our hearts are the temple. Our, our, our souls are God's temple. This is where God doesn't dwell in any room. He doesn't dwell in any building. There's nothing holy about this space at all. The only time God dwells here is when you walk in the door. That's it. That's why we emphasize so much that we don't go to church. We are the church, right? We are the church. God dwells in us. And so let, let me, with that in mind, if we are now the living temple of God, where God dwells, then... Then, then what's the practical application for us to make sure that we don't allow others to misuse the temple? And I think it's just about being faithful to God. We don't allow others to take us places where God wouldn't want us to go, to make, help us, to lead us into choices that God wouldn't want us to make. We don't allow others to come and, 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 and begin to use us for purposes that are contrary to God's will. We make sure that we keep the temple, us, whole. Close to God, focused on him. We don't allow other people to misuse the temple. and So they got off track because they forgot that their temple was meant for worship. It wasn't meant for some, you know, wackadoo's personal business. It was meant for worship. Now, a lot of times we get, kind of in this modern age, we get confused about temple because we 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 oftentimes view these church buildings as these kind of holy places. I remember I was on staff at a church and and um the pastor there uh he didn't like preaching behind a big giant, you know, pulpit, you know, church, you know, churches have these big pulpits a lot of times. And uh and so he decided he would move the pulpit off the stage and you know kind of put it in storage or whatever. That just wasn't his style. And there was a guy in that church that just lost his mind just absolutely lost his mind because this holy piece of furniture had been moved off the stage. And, and he literally said, he literally said these words. He said, he said, I can tell you, I've seen it happen over the years that you can mark a circle about 10 feet wide, all the way around that pulpit. And God dwells there. Right. And that was his mindset. He really, really honestly believed that, but that is so contrary to scripture. We cannot allow ourselves to go down. So, so we don't have sacred pieces of furniture in this building, nothing is sacred. Everything is destined for the dump eventually one day, right? And so and so we, we, just don't, we just don't do that. Um, and so we make sure, though, you know, that – that and, and I get it. I get it. There are a lot of people who have this mentality of, you know, you got to show some respect, show some honor when you come into the house of God and, you know, make sure you're dressed properly. Make sure you're not wearing your hat or, you know, whatever, And, uh, but if we read scripture, that's, that's, that's stuff that we made up. That's not what the Bible teaches, right? We come and we worship together because God dwells here, not here, right here. And so that's the deal. Okay. So feel free to wear your hats. I don't care. Um, so the second thing that happens starting in verse 10 is that, uh, Nehemiah also calls out that they began to neglect giving, <coughs> tithing. The people stopped tithing. At, at, at that time, the people were required to give a tithe. The, tithe. the word tithe means 10%. And God's people would give 10% of their income. And sometimes that was money. And sometimes it was the grain, you know, 10% of the grain that they harvested or, or you know, the, the the livestock that they uh, you know, uh, produced whatever the case, but they would give ten percent of whatever God had blessed them with. They would take it to the temple, and and give that ten percent, and that was for the facilitation of worship and for the um, for the well being and salaries of the clergy, the priests that lived there, and um, and so that they could facilitate worship and keep going uh, keep worship going in a way that would benefit the people, right? And they began to stop giving, and the result was. That when the people stopped giving, the clergy could no longer provide for their families. They had families. They weren't like Catholic priests or anything. You know, they were single. They, they had families. They were married. They could no longer provide for their families. And so the clergy had to leave the city of Jerusalem, go back into the, you know, the farms and, and you know, places where their forefathers, you know, lived and worked the land so they could provide for their family. And the result from that was that worship be- began to be neglected. And Nehemiah calls him out and says, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you think so poorly of your God and the worship of your God that you would not provide a way to make sure worship stays central to you as a people. Now, for us, we still teach and practice the, the concept of tithing. Um, and, and we don't harp on it. We're not, you know, we're not sending anybody bills. I've heard horror stories of churches that send people bills and, you know, that sort of thing. We don't, we don't do any of that. We just ask you to go to God and uh, to respond to the way that he's leading you. We believe that if, if God is in the process of making us more Christ-like, then one of the qualities that Christ had was he was a very generous person and God is growing us as to be more generous people. And what happens is that when we give to the church, when we give our tithe, when we give our offering to the church, then it's you saying, the you know, worship is a priority to me and it's a priority to my family. I want to make sure that worship is ready and available and, and facilitated so that I can go and worship God with other people that I love and that I'm like-minded with. I want to make sure that that money gets donated and, and that I'm a more generous person because, because this thing, this whole worship experience that you guys experienced this morning, this didn't happen by accident. It happened because there was a leader who gathered a bunch of other people around and said, let's work on this. Let's spend time in this. Let's invest time in this. And let's make sure that our worship before God is excellent. Excellent. the stuff that the other staff members in our church, this this stuff didn't just happen by accident. We don't show up on Sunday morning and go, you know, I wonder what I'm going to preach on or, you know, whatever we, we, you guys have set us aside in such a beautiful way that we are able to really seek God's face about how best to facilitate worship in this church and lead you in worship. And that's just a small portion of what happens when you give and you're generous to the kingdom of God. It's not always about, the clergy and the, and the leadership in the church. There's also, you know, we send missionaries around the world and we, we help good organizations, even right here in our town and, and things like that. And there, there are good things that happen, but it's, it's us kind of stepping aside and going, this is, this is important. I believe in what this church is doing. I believe in the, the God that they are serving and worshiping. And I want to make sure worship continues to happen here for me and for my family and for my kids and their families and that sort of thing. And so it's something worthwhile that we feel very good about being generous towards. So the the practical application there, I think, for us is, is, um, is to not assume that God intends all every dollar that he gives us to be for us. That instead, when we get those raises and when we get those promotions and, and we get those, you know, windfalls of, you know, whatever, we go to God and we say, God, what, what, why, why, why have you blessed me with this? Is there, is, is it for me? Is it so I can upgrade my house? Is it so I can upgrade my, whatever, my standard of living? Or, or have you given this so I can upgrade my standard of giving? And it, I'm not telling you what the answer to that question is. I'm just saying, don't presume that it's always all for you. Instead, take it to God in prayer and say, God, why? Why? Lead me. Tell me how it is you want, what it is you want me to do with this. That's all we ask for, for you to do. The third thing that began to happen, starting in verse 15, is that they started to neglect the Sabbath. They would neglect the Sabbath. Now, and, and if you're new to, you know, the faith, this term Sabbath, it might seem like a weird term. It was a Jewish term and uh, and it has early roots in just the first couple of chapters of the bible but the sabbath was basically the seventh day of the week and the people were commanded to to rest on the seventh day it's rooted in god's creative work and there's a whole story there that i don't have time to get into but but it is it was it was you were to set aside the sabbath you were to rest you were not to work and you were to keep that day holy to remember that god is Lord and King of both heaven and earth and that he is sovereign in our lives and that you can rest in him. I don't have to stress and worry and work seven days a week until I give myself an early heart attack because God says, rest in me, trust in me. Yes, get out there and work, work hard, work for your family. But it's okay for you to rest. In fact, I want you to. I need you to. I'm commanding you to. I love that. God, he gives us ten commandments. The top ten things that are most important to God. And in that ten most important commandments that he gives us is take a break. Take a, I, I need you to rest. Take some time off every single week. Set aside a day and keep it holy where you kind of. You rejuvenate, you get to take a deep breath and you rest in me. You remind yourself that, that God is in control, that he is in control. Sabbath is a big deal to God. Now I'm going to, I'm going to jump out on a limb here and say, this is probably the, um, the biggest sin of the American church. Probably the greatest sin of the American church is the neglecting of Sabbath. And you say, well, I don't work seven days a week. I take a day off. But are you really resting? Or is it just another day of busyness for you? Do you really actually set aside a day where you reconnect, where you rejuvenate, where you Spend time with your family and 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 focus on God a little bit. Do you really do that? For some of you, maybe this is your day. Maybe Sunday is your day, your Sabbath day. That's very cool. For me, I you know this is a little bit of a work day for me, and and so I, I take a Sabbath on Friday. But we try to try to make sure I set aside that day. But I know this is this is a foreign concept for for many of us as kind of hardworking Americans. Are we still? I think we're still hardworking Americans, aren't we? So anyway. <laughs> Um, maybe I shouldn't assume that, but uh, maybe you need a work day, you know, one work day and six Sabbath days or something like that. Some of you, um, anyway, so, um, we need, it's, it's important to God. It's important to God. And if it's important to God, it's gotta be important to us. And here's the thing. The reason God sets you know, Jesus has this whole teaching of, you know, he got busted by some Pharisees because he was doing a little bit of work on a Sabbath day once, uh, just, just in terms of getting some food and things like that. And, uh, And Jesus makes a statement. He said, well, you know, God gave the Sabbath not for so much for God, but for man. In other words, it it should be a benefit to us. It shouldn't be this burden. Sabbath shouldn't be a burden where it's all legalistic and everything else. It should be for us. And God is, he loves us. He's concerned about us. He wants to make sure we maintain some sort of proper, healthy balance in our lives. And here's the thing talking to Janine about this before, Janine about this before church. If 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 you don't sabbath, God will sabbath you. It will happen. It will happen. He will sideline you in some way eventually. You know, you're going to go, "Oh, there's that heart attack I was meaning to have." And and you know, whatever. And and so it, it, something's going to happen to where you're going to get some rest. Anybody here have you, you like you you've known for years you should be taking rest and then finally rest was forced upon you? Yeah, a lot of us are, are that. I'm the only one honest in the room, but yeah, there were a lot of us are that way. We just work and work and work until until suddenly God says, "Ugh, you know, okay, let me, just you know." So, some I remember there was a couple of years ago. I was just you know kind of burnt out and depressed, and everything. And I remember actually praying, God, just give me just a minor heart attack, just a small one, just 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 a few days rest with my feet up in the hospital. That'd be great. Just a little one, you know. I don't want to die yet, but come on, just a, just a little something, right? And so, but we need that rest. We need that rest. God wants us to have it. So take it. It's a big deal to God. But, it, but again, it's not so much because God's like, you deserve a break today. That's not so much what it's about. It's really more about you realizing who God is and who you are in him and realizing he's in control. I don't have to work like a full 24 seven because God's got me. He's in control. Now, the fourth thing that began to happen here is that um, in verses, starting with verse 23 through 29, they started intermarrying with pagans, with people who were outside of their faith to the extent that their children were not being taught properly anymore. So what happens was they started intermarrying with people outside of their um, you know, Jewish faith, and this was ag- against God's command for them. Now, we're going to get into the reasons why. Before you're You know, you get all excited about your xenophobia. Hold on just a second, okay? God had commanded them not to intermarry intermarry with other nations. And it was because before the cross, before Jesus came into the world, before the Messiah came, it was the responsibility of the Jewish people to be the light of the world that would point the world to the fact that God loved them and had a plan for them and was sending a Messiah for them. And if their faith became um, forgotten or watered down or whatever else because of the intermarrying of which, which this constantly happened in the history of Israel. They would constantly intermarry with other people. Even the kings would intermarry with other people. And all these false gods would creep in and they began to worship other gods. And they began to worship other gods even in their temple and that sort of thing. And so... Uh, and so this started to happen just 10 years after, they were, after their hearts were broken, that they had strayed from God's word, just 10 years later, now that the, Nehemiah tells us that the, the intermarrying had taken place to the extent that the kids that were coming out of those marriages didn't know the language of their faith anymore. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Didn't know the language. This is the most scripturally ignorant generation in the history of our country. And I don't use ignorant. I just, it's a fact. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm just, it's just a fact. The, the, the people, uh, you, the younger adults, uh, I would say up through, you know, my age and, and then all through the, you know, the generations of the kids have such a, a, a poor knowledge of their spiritual heritage and the stories of scripture Because we too have kind of fallen into this trap. It was important for God to say. Marry within your faith. Because it's important that this faith survives. You guys are the light of the world. You're the light I'm sending into the world. To tell the world good news. It's important that this faith. Survives. Now. Again modern day application. This has nothing to do with nationality for us. Christ is Christ of all the nations. This has nothing to do with the language that we speak. Christ is Christ of all language groups. This has everything to to do with us placing such a priority on our faith and on the generations that come behind us that we don't, as the New Testament says, we are not um, unequally yoked what, you know, but Paul says, you know, what have you to do with somebody outside of our faith? Those are bad partnerships. And he's talking to business partnerships. And I think you can apply it to marriages as well. But what, 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 what have you to do with that? It's going to cause problems. Um, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but let me, let me hit it a little bit harder this week. When I was a young man and Jamie and I were um, uh, getting married and beginning to talk about family and everything. I was very excited about having a family. And I, was, I began to get kind of excited about the possibility of having a big family. And I know that, um, you know, in this day and age, you know, thinking big families and, you know, that sort of thing is not necessarily the popular thing to do. And, and a lot of people have a mindset of, you know, this world's so jacked up. Why would you bring a kid into it? Or it's so crowded. Why would you conti- continue with this human pollution that we're spreading everywhere, whatever else? But for me, the reason I was excited to bring kids into this world was because, I was excited at the prospect of bringing kingdom change agents into this world. I know I know how jacked up the world is. I'm under no illusion that this world is 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 jacked up, right? However, the idea that I might contribute to the solution instead of the problem, that was exciting to me. That was exciting to me. And I think that is the primary reason for christians to have kids is so that you can continue to spread the good news around the world raise your kids well and spread the good news around the world and i'm not saying i don't love my kids and i just it's all about you know some sort of weird weird christian strategy to me or that's not what i'm saying i'm crazy about my kids i love them to death but i love who they're becoming in christ too that is there's nothing more exciting than that to me Raise your kids well. Make sure they know the language of our faith. It's a shame. I mean, it's a shame if, if, you know, this kind of situation comes up where so many faiths just kind of get blended together that nobody knows the truth anymore. That's a shame. But it's even, even greater shame when you as Christian parents raise your kids in such a uh, lazy way that your own kids, the kids of Christian parents, don't know the language of their faith. That's a shame. Raise them well. Raise them well. You may think, well, it's a little late for me. You know, my kids are older now or whatever. It's not too late. Jump in there now. Not even if they're adults, begin to show them the way again. Raise your kids well. Why? Because I see a future for our faith. I don't think this faith is dying anytime soon. And I intend to, I, I, I love the fact that I've had this legacy of faith passed down to me. And I want to make sure I pass that legacy of faith down to the generations that come behind me. Why? Because I love God. Because I think it's our greatest calling in our life is to tell people about Jesus. There's no greater calling. And, and, and by the way, people, number one, and tell people about Jesus is your kids. Make sure you tell. What, what a shame if you're not telling your kids about Jesus. I don't even know who you are. Call yourself a Christian. You're not telling, you're telling your kids about Jesus. Well, I, well, I, like, that is so completely foreign to me. Tell your kids about Jesus. Make sure they know their spiritual heritage. Make sure they know the spiritual, the the language of their faith. It's critical. Now, let me read the end of the story here. Nehemiah 13, starting with verse 30. He, he, He highlights all these things that we've just highlighted. And then he says this, Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. And then he says, remember me, oh, oh my God, for good. Remember me, oh, my God, for good. He's like, I, I, I not only followed your leadership in the completion of this dream, but I did everything I could possibly do to make sure they stayed focused on the why Of the dream. See, here's the deal. The dream was not about the wall at all. Why did God want to bring his people back and make them strong again? Not for them. Not for the sake of having a nice, big, fancy wall. It was all about God. It was all about God. And when they lost their focus off of God, they betrayed the dream. They betrayed the dream. You want to see your dream end well, then keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Make it all about him. Do this right. Now again, when he says, "I removed everything foreign from here," the the kind of modern day equivalent of that is this I uh, put the statement up on the on the screen. There are choices that should be foreign to Christ' followers. There are choices that you could make that should be foreign to us as people who follow Jesus. I'm not talking about some weird fear of foreigners or anything like that. I'm just saying there are choices that we make that go against the word of God. That should just be like, why would I ever make that choice? That has nothing to do with the God I follow or serve. There are choices that you make that should be foreign to Christ followers. Now, this is not a popular preaching today. This is not a popular thing to teach. In fact, it's more popular to say, hey, you just come to faith in Jesus Christ and then you can do whatever you want. Go ahead. Sin doesn't matter anymore because Christ covered it all on the cross. Just live however you want. But the problem with that is the Bible. Like the Bible doesn't say that. That that may sound great. And you might be able to twist a few scriptures here and there to, to make that work for you. But that's not what the Bible says. You cannot get away from our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to pursue personal holiness. Now, and I, Holiness is a weird word to us because when we hear holiness, we hear holier than thou. That's different. That's different. I'm just talking about pursuing the things that are of God, Me, trying to make the choices that he has said bring him the most glory. Like committing our lives to him, committing our lives to him. It's not okay for us to just go and make any and every choice that we feel like making or that's going to bring us the most happiness. I've said this before, and I know some people don't like it. And you may, this may be your last Sunday at church. God doesn't care about your happiness. He's not, he didn't, he didn't die on the cross so that you'd have a smile on your face all day long. He cares about your soul. He cares about your faithfulness, your your happiness. You know, there's real and true joy in when it comes to life in Jesus Christ. I experience joy constantly and because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. But I don't always experience happiness, but joy transcends happiness. Happiness is about your circumstances. Joy is just simply about God. It's just simply about him. Yeah. There's a lot of decisions you can make that might make you happy, but you know what there, YouTube is full of happy idiots. (laughs) Do you ever just look at people on YouTube and going, well, they seem happy, but holy cow, like what the crap are they thinking? Right? It's not just simply about our happiness. But God has called us to holiness. Now, here's the deal when it comes to holiness. You and I are never going to be holy the way that God is holy. It's never going to happen. And so you get that dream out of your head, right? However, what we can do is over time, we go through this process that the Bible refers to as sanctification. And what sanctification means is it's the process of God over time in our relationship with him making us more and more like him. More and more like him. Now, we'll never see the fulfillment of that until eternity. But in the right here, and the right now, when you walk with God, when you submit to him, when you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, he is making you more and more like him. So while I'm not perfect today, very far from it, I'm further down the road than I was 20 years ago. Thank God I'm further down the road than I was 20 years ago. I don't say that as a, as a statement of pride. I just say that to God, be the glory that he has changed my thinking. You would not want 18 year old thinking Jeff as your pastor. You would not want that. But God has brought me further down the road. He's made me a little bit more like Christ every day, every year to where I'm resembling him a little bit more than I used to resemble him. That's sanctification. But you don't get there just by saying, ah, sin doesn't matter. If sin doesn't matter, can I just ask this question? If sin doesn't matter, I'm like, if it just doesn't matter, you can just do whatever you want to, and it doesn't matter because God's forgiven you and whatever else. Then why are you here today? Like, why are we here? Like, there's there's stuff on TV that you could be watching, right? There's places you could be. It's California. There's a lot of places you could be. Why are you here? If sin doesn't matter, why? Why are we doing any of this? It does matter. And here's why it matters. It doesn't matter because we have this kind of obligation to be perfect. That's not why sin matters. Sin matters because... Um, because sin is not the breaking of some sort of moral code. Sin is the wounding of the heart of God. Sin is not, oh, I broke a rule. We all break rules. That happens. Sin is, is when you care so little about your relationship with Jesus Christ that you would just do whatever because it makes you happy. Tell me how that relationship would work out with your wife or your husband wouldn't work at all. I'm not, I've said this before. I'm not faithful to Jamie just simply because the Bible says, be faithful to Jamie, even though it does. I'm faithful to Jamie because I know if I'm unfaithful to her, how it would break her heart, how much she loves me. And how it would crush her, how it would break her heart, how I, how I cannot proclaim love for my wife if I rip her heart out and trample on it. And the same thing is true. You can sit here and talk about how much you love Jesus and sing songs about it and everything else. But if you're not faithful to him, you're a liar. You're just a liar. That's okay. We're all liars. Don't, don't get all offended. But if you can't be faithful to him in, in such a way that you value your relationship with him, and I, I don't want to sin. Now, again, you're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. You don't have to live in worry and shame and guilt over every bad choice that you make. You don't have to do that. But you also don't have to embrace those bad choices. There's a difference between, ah, I made a choice I shouldn't have made, and, and then you jump back on the horse and you you know, you know keep living for God and you, you're faithful to him and you repent. That, that's... that's, that's That's the way the Christian life looks. There's a difference between that and then you going, yeah, I made this choice. And I know God's word says I shouldn't do it, but it makes me happy. So I'm going to keep doing it. You understand the difference? You see it? There's a big difference there. Because one person is trying to be faithful to the God that loves them so much and gave his son to die for them so that they could live in relationship with him. And the other person looks at that death and goes, cool, I guess. Be faithful to God. He's been faithful to you. And here's the beautiful thing about God that the scripture tells us that even when we're unfaithful to him, he'll still be faithful to us. He'll still be faithful to us. But shame on us when we handle the grace that he has gifted us so cheaply that we would just trample on it. Our choices matter. There's some choices that you might make that should just be completely foreign to you. As a follower of Jesus Christ. So this is what I want you to do as we, as we leave today. I want you to take this, take this scripture, take this word that, that, that we've taught today. And I just, I just want you to pray about it. I, um, every year I go to, uh, in the, in the spring, I take a little kind of personal trip to Yosemite for three nights and just kind of recharge. And, and, um, spend some time with God out there and and that sort of the first year I did that guess four or five years ago and I was all by myself and it was kind of, I was silent the whole time and just kind of did this, you know, I was into God's word and reading a few other books and things like that. And, and, um, and occasionally I would just kind of stop. I'd go lay out in the middle of one of those meadows there in the valley and I would just listen. I just wanted to hear from God. I would just listen. And here's a, here's a, a lot of times the reason we don't hear from God is because we never listen. And when you get yourself quiet, when you quiet your soul, and you ask for God to speak to you, oftentimes he will. I'm not talking some weird, you know, I had this vision of a 900-foot Jesus or anything like that. I'm I'm just saying through your thoughts, little things kind of stick in there, and you're like, okay, I feel like God's saying something to me right now. Or when you're reading the scripture, you you know, something sticks out to you and you feel like God's speaking to you through that. I remember sitting there one day and, And the thing that stuck in my head was like this, uh, just this kind of inner voice. I don't want to make it too mystical, but I feel like God was speaking to me. And it just said this, don't treat your sin lightly because I don't treat it lightly. It's just this little phrase. It just kind of don't treat your sin lightly because I don't treat it lightly. I think a lot of times we can get so caught up in, wow, look what God has done for us. And, uh, so focused on his free gift of grace in our life. And it's big and it's free and it's awesome. I don't want to discount that in any way. But when we begin to kind of internalize certain patterns of sin in our life and we go, ah, eh, it's okay. It's just kind of who I am. Rather than making that about you and your happiness and maybe your laziness to change or whatever it might the case may be, what if instead you just turned that that, that thing that you know is kind of a bad choice, something that's kind of keeps cropping up in your life. Well, if you turn that over to God and said, God, this is who I am. And this is the decisions I've been making, but I want to look more like you. So would you take this from me? Would you help me through this? Would you help give me the ability to make better decisions? I want to look more like you. You don't gotta be perfect. You don't gotta be perfect, but here's the question. Are you walking towards Jesus? Are you walking towards him? Are you giving him permission to smooth out the rough places in your life? Or are are you just kind of this fan of Jesus from a distance? I love Jesus. I think he loves me too. Woo. Are you walking with him? Do you know him? Do you know him? More importantly, does he know you? Does he know you? This is what we're called to a life of moving towards Jesus. I'm talking to Christ followers this morning. If you're outside the faith, then make all the bad decisions you want. It doesn't matter, right? No, Christ is also calling you into a relationship with him. He wants you. And I'm telling you, if you're outside of the faith and you're trying to figure out if this is something you want for your life, this path is the greatest path that you could possibly be on. You may think I would have to give up too much. I would have to change too much to really settle down with Jesus. Here's the thing: what you give up, like you know, it's like when you it's like when you have kids. You give up a lot when you have kids. Like I remember, I remember when Jamie and I, we would want to go to a movie, and we just went to a movie. Remember that? How awesome was that? I can't, like, I can't remember the last time we went anywhere where there wasn't major planning involved, right? We gave up a lot to have these kids, right? However, what we gained from having them far outweighs what we gave up. The fulfillment, the love that I didn't even know I was capable of, everything that, the way my life changed when those kids came into my life far outweighs whatever I had to give up. Sometimes I miss what I gave up, don't get me wrong but my love for those kids far outweighs that. It's kind of the same thing when you relationship with Jesus. Are you going to give up some things that maybe you, I don't know, bring a smile to your face or whatever now? Maybe, maybe, probably. But what you gain from a rela- relationship, a genuine relationship with the creator of this universe far outweighs anything you would ever give up. You'll look back on it and go, on, I can't even believe I struggled with that decision far outweighs it. So let's keep moving towards Jesus. For some of you, that means, all right, I've been claiming to have a relationship with Christ. There's some things I need to turn over to him. For some of you, it just means I need to turn myself over to him for the first time. My first step in moving towards Christ is just to move towards him right now. Whatever that is, whatever that next step, that first step for you is make it just commit to make it. I promise you're not going to regret it. You're not going to regret it. God is a good God. Amen. He really is. Ask anybody. We love you. All right, let's pray. Father, I love you. And I thank you so much for your word to us today. It's a weird word and it's a difficult word. And it's not necessarily, you know, nobody's making any bumper stickers or coffee mugs about Nehemiah chapter 13. But um, it's a good word. And uh, it's a good reminder to us. So God, forgive us when we take our eyes off of you and we focus more on our, ourselves and our own sense of happiness or whatever. Help us to keep our lives about you. Help us to keep the dreams that you give us about you and not about ourselves. God, help us to fill that sense of, of foreignness, that sense of une- unease when we entertain choices that are contrary to your word. Give us that. God, let, let us hear the voice of your Holy Spirit so loudly in our ears that it is difficult for us to make those choices. We want to be more like you. I believe that about everybody in this room. I believe everybody's here because they, they'd like to be a little bit more like you. So help us in that. We're weak and we fail and you know how much we will fail. Thank you for loving us through it all. Help us to stay focused on you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that your grace is big enough to cover all of our sins. Thank you so much. Thank you that we don't have to live in a sense of guilt and shame and feel like we got to re-crucify you every time we screw up, God, but your sacrifice for us was once and for all. But because you loved us the way that you loved us, We want to be faithful to that kind of love. We don't want to treat it poorly. So make us more like you. We love you and uh, we want to be your people. We want you to be our God. So lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.